Welcome to Popcorn History with the Freeborn County Historical Museum, Library, and Village. I'm Stephanie Kibler, the Executive Director at the Museum, and joining me is Risha Lilienthal, Coordinator of Collections and Exhibits, and Reggie Bauer, Operations Manager here at Power 96. Um, today we are going to be talking racing and remedies. And this was a little harder to popcorn. Yeah, yeah. It was a little difficult. Um, Freeborn County has a, a racing history that goes back into the 1850s. Sure. Um, maybe even earlier than that. I'm not oh, quite sure. But okay. for sure, 1850s. And um, there's a lot of, what do you call it, folklore yeah. around mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the racing history. Yep. One, of the, one of the first things I heard about when I came into town was that the county seat was determined by a racehorse. <laughs> Same. It's like... like some people just love to bring that up. It's yeah, but that there's no and there's no evidence of that. Yeah, I think yeah. I remember in one of the past episodes, you two debunked that for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a kind of a fun little yeah piece of story. Wouldn't yeah. that be neat? Yeah, wouldn't yeah. that be neat? Oh, there's a whole new segment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of our um, so so George Rubel was. Um, Pretty oh, prominent, I, would, I say, guess. would you say a forefather of oh. the city of Albert Lake? Yeah, I think so. Um, owner of a sawmill. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, I think, has donated a piece of land that became part of a... Oh, there were several uh, businessmen in that time frame that donated land that became part of downtown yep. um, and park areas. Okay. Um, so he was quite the prominent businessman here in mm-hmm. town. And he was also uh, the proud owner of Red Eye, which mm-hmm. was a local racehorse. Ooh. Um, and he spent a lot of time in Fairbow and in St. Paul racing with Red Eye. And we talked a little bit at Cocktail History about um, Uncle John yep. and his horse Tommy, yeah. um, who, who ended up challenging Ruble and his mm-hmm. horse Red Eye. Ooh. Now, Red Eye was a thoroughbred racing right. horse, beautiful racing horse. And Tommy was, um, we... we <laughs> we compared him to Eeyore. Yeah. No. Um, they they commented in this news article that he kind of walked with his head down and and more of a saunter mm-hmm. than a trot. So he was just kind of a pretty chill, yeah, laid back horse. Yeah. Um, but um, John's nephew took him out one day and decided to see if he could run, and he could run. Hmm. So Ruble and Uncle John ended up with a $25 bet, Mm -hmm. and um, John showed up with no saddle on his horse and (laughs) nobody to race the horse. Hmm. So as the crowd talked, they kind of started making fun of him and laughing, and so he said uh, something along the lines of, um, he's smart enough to run himself home, Mm -hmm. I'll just let him run. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he took the bridle off the horse and took him by the mane and led him up to the start line and they sounded the bell whatever they used to do and the horses took off after tommy had a couple of funky little jumps and kind of squirreled around a little bit at the (laughs) start line guess who won the race was it tommy it was tommy wow yeah so ruble kind of maybe took a little hit there but um, you're talking about the red eye is like this thoroughbred and i'm imagining a horse with just like like this huge almost military horse with like red eyes that's what i'm imagining oh, like yeah. it's like like this domineering horse but 
that's just what I'm picturing because of its name. Sure. Interesting, huh? I don't think that's what it. I wonder where Red Eye came from, though. His his father was Winnebago, and mother Rosa Vertner was the name mm. of that horse. Yeah, Red Eye, huh? I wonder where that came from. There's nothing that really says how he named their, his horse, which would be kind of fun to know. Yeah. Hmm. I would I would have said maybe like a red eye flight, but they didn't have airplanes back then. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about the red eye flight. I hate the red eye. I'll never, if I can avoid it, ever take a red eye ever again. It takes me two days to recover from a red Aww. eye. I I don't sleep on a plane. I have a oh, hard time sure. sleeping. I usually don't, but I have the past couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so anyway, it's just kind of, there's a lot of different stories about the horse racing um, throughout um, Freeborn County. Um, George Rubel also had a mare named Sleepy Kate, Hmm. um, who ran against George Gardner's mare, um, and Sleepy Kate was the winner in that race. Hmm. Um, Let's see here. Oh, and Bay Lady, I guess, was the name of the other horse that, that Sleepy Kate beats so it's oh and then there's sleepy joe <laughs> that was h lester's bay horse sleepy joe um of missouri so people came from all over too bringing the horses missouri. into race right wow. wait were these horses that were after red eye i'm gonna guess well 1860 was um 1860 was sleepy kate red eye was around 1858 Okay, so do you think that because Tommy was known for his kind of lackluster, like, chill demeanor that he decided to make the other horse's name sleepy so that they would... Maybe. Because... Hmm. Like, like mind gaming, <laughs> right, the right. racing, like you'll reverse never psychology. Expe- you'll never see it coming. Right. right? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Well, I was hoping you were going to talk a little bit about the Derby because that's why you wanted to oh. do horse racing. Well, we did the Derby for Cocktail we History, did. and I did not touch on the Derby. Yeah. I just did horse racing. Because when you said, when we had talked about our pops, I was thinking about nursing because it's National Nursing Week this week in Ooh. May. And so you said, well... I'm going to challenge you to connect horse racing to nursing. I was like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so, actually, I was looking at the Kentucky Derby, and um, I connected nursing to horse racing because there's a lot of uh, independent contractors at the Kentucky Derby, and a lot of them are contracting outside of the country and are migrant workers, so they don't have health care here while they're here, and they're not here for too long a time period and they're also unfamiliar with our health care and our system and uh, they don't get health care through their jobs by being a contractor and so they are behind the stage at the derby a lot of them are mainly exercising feeding shampooing the horses cleaning the stalls lifting hay bales or doing a lot of you know the labor work behind the scenes in the horse racing and so because a lot of these people sometimes they would get hurt or they just needed normal primary care you know that people need throughout their life and so the university of louisville their school of nursing set out in 2005 to meet the health needs of that population and they partnered with a track funded nonprofit organization to create the kentucky racing health services center 
And they didn't do that till 2005. No. Yeah. Because what year was this for the Derby? I mean, the Derby's been... Since 1800s, yes, right? Yes, I when believe. The first one was. Right. Give me five seconds. That's... Um, the first Kentucky Derby was in 1875. So, oh my gosh, wow. and I actually counted five seconds, and that was five seconds. He, he nice. did it. That was that was that was great. <laughs> that was funny. So that's almost 150 years ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. that it took them to get health care wow. for the people who were contracting over. So it would have been their 130th year. Wow. Uh, so that entire organization that nonprofit is run and staffed entirely by NPs nurse practitioners nice and that's a unique in the racing industry too to provide a source of primary health care for licensed racetrack workers so I'm kind of amazed that an entire nonprofit organization is for this huge event and oh horse racing I'm not too. I especially um, especially around health care and especially if it's you know around um, like migrant workers or people coming in on visas to mm-hmm, work mm-hmm. within a community, that is a total nonprofit. Yeah, I could see that. I just had never thought about it. You know, yeah. you go to the race and it's, I've never been to one, but like you would think you would go to the event and it's just, it's there for you. You know, you don't <laughs> think about the behind the scenes stuff a right. lot. Right, that is true because, you know, I think I mentioned I have gone only once mm-hmm. up to Canterbury. Um, and you see the jockeys, and you see, you know, a few people on the sidelines that you know are working with the horses. But yeah, you don't think about the people mucking the stalls and and who's bringing the feed and mm-hmm. and fresh hay and right. um, yeah. who's training them, mm-hmm. who's washing, brushing. Yeah, I wonder how many people are employed at the Kentucky Derby. Oh my gosh. I, a lot. I'm I mean, sure. we talked about how many, what, what did we say? It was something like oh 10,000 of the mint juleps that are. <laughs> 16,000 people order a mint julep right. during the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. But yeah, they've got to have a huge staff. Yeah. Or contractors. Right. But, and then to have that entire organization to like staffed entirely by NPs. They're all yeah. nurses that are being staffed there. And kudos to the university for yeah, jumping in on that. that. I like that. Yeah. Huh. And so that was my connection to nurses, which we have quite a history of medical practitioners in Freeborn County. Uh, and Mary King is one that is a great big one who did a lot and had a lot on her plate. So I I kind of thought she, of her as almost a maverick. That's what I kind of think of as her. She was born in Freeborn County on April 1st. She's a April Fool's Day baby in 1887. And she passed in 1980, so she lived Mm. to be 92 years old. And she attended the Navy Hospital School of Nursing, graduated in 1916, also attended University of Minnesota, but then returned to Navy Hospital. And uh, that was when Miss Anna Kippen, she was the first superintendent there. She resigned, and so Mary King became the superintendent and also the director of the School of Nursing in 1923. So she had two really big hats on. Um, She held that position until 1945 and was in charge of the business of the hospital necessary in the maintenance and operation of the hospital 
purchasing, personnel, professional care of patients, teaching the students, the selection of students. She served as an x-ray technician and like a lot of other jobs that she had just within the hospital. She was on call 24-7 and she did a lot. <laughs> I'm just trying to think what the equivalent position of that oh would gosh. be now at the hospital here in Elmer Lane, <laughs> right? right? It'd be, uh, I bet it's got to be a dozen or more people that right. take care of all, yeah. of, all of those. And also, initially, she wanted to be a teacher. She went to school to be a teacher, oh, not even in nursing or anything, hmm. and then ended up just jumping right into uh, nursing. And interesting that you called her a maverick. Yeah, because she is such an individual and uh, persevered through a lot of, I guess, barriers, I guess, at right. that time for women to be in such a position of power. It's um, Albert Lee has a few of those. Freeburn County, I should yes. say, has a few women that really jumped in and took mm-hmm. the reins. I was, right? was going to say it if you did. <laughs> So, yeah, um, she just jumped in and did a lot of um, powerful jobs and a lot of time spent in the hospital, like saving lives, you know, doing that kind of stuff. But then uh, she resigned as superintendent and then continued her education and returned again to Navy Hospital as a full-time nurse anesthesiist. And that she did until 1961, when she fully retired. Uh, And then, after she retired, she worked as the assistant superintendent of St. John's Lutheran Home. Oh. Hmm. I didn't know that about her. That's awesome. Huh. Yeah, and then after she resigned that, she still was a volunteer at St. John's. And she gave much of her time and effort to... St. John's home to help that. She was called the chief nurse of this community by quite a few That's people. Fitting. That's hmm. a fitting right. title for her. Yes, I yeah. agree. Just let me go back to Navy Hospital really quick here because the namesake was Dorothea Soth Navy, who was born in Germany in 1841. And I like Dorothea because that's my great-grandma's name. Oh. My great-grandma was Dorothea Maria Augusta. But uh, Dorothea Soth, different person here. Uh, She was, again, born in Germany, and her parents and brother and sister came to Wisconsin in 1849. Within a year of their arrival, her parents and sister died. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So their uncle raised her and her brother Charles, so then Charles and Dorothea came to Albert Lee in 1873, where Charles and a man named Theodore Navy formed a business partnership and they opened a general store. And then, I guess through that connection, Dorothea and Theodore got to know each other and were married in 1875. And they adopted a daughter named Edith in 1890. And one year later, Theodore passed away. Oh, my So then she lost her husband. And she moved to Minneapolis in 1906 so that her daughter could receive a university education. And then she died in 1908 as the result of an accident. I don't know what accident it was, but that's how it was listed for her. And Hmm. so why did they pick her to, to name the hospital after? So her wishes to have her Albert Lee home 
given to the city for the purpose of an improved hospital was carried out by her brother, Charles. I do remember that. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so that was, she had a lot of unfortunate deaths in her family. I was going to say, that was like a series of unfortunate events. Yes. (laughs) And still, and still be, and still be willing to, to, be a philanthropist yes, in the community right. and yeah to have you know that you be could her. just kind of be beaten down by all yeah, the bad things that right. happen to you and get all crotchety and angry jaded. at everything and yeah, yeah jaded and, crotchety yeah. those and, are good words guys and, and they still <laughs> wanted to to give back and, yeah. and try to make the world a better place mm-hmm. huh that's yeah. So, that so was that's another for, strong woman in Fremont right. County history. And that was on my uh, Nurses Week, National Nurses Week. Interesting. Or, yeah. And then so you, after nurses, went to... Took me a long time to get a popcorn going off of this when I uh-huh. tell you that. But I happened to find strong women also. Ooh. Um, so back in the 1870s, there was a push in Freeborn County of the temperance movement. Mm-hmm. Um, which um, was against the consumption of alcohol. Yep. Um, <laughs> I'm still trying She's to figure that out. Whatever, you, whatever, <laughs> whatever that is. Whatever you're into. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it was interesting because I'm looking at, you know, some old newspapers, and what comes up is all this temperance, you know, movement information and then the next thing over is an ad for opium and morphine oh no so i'm thinking this is really interesting and it wasn't like just occasional ad in a newspaper it was like when i'm flipping through constantly yeah every couple months (laughs) so very interesting take Um, two opium and call me in the morning right right Yeah. <laughs> or, or telegraph me in the morning. Yeah. Phones have been invented A little yet. tappity taps. Um, my, my, <laughs> one of the favorite things I thought I really liked to this was, um, um, so when they're talking about the complete abstinence from alcohol or teetotalism, mm. I really liked that word. The teetotalers. And, and it was T-E-E. Oh. Teetotalism. Yeah. I liked that. Oh. That was that was a new word for me. So that one was really fun. Bunch of teetotal um. squares. <laughs> <laughs> so, but back in um, 1878, 1879, and 80, um, the newspapers covered what was happening with temperance. Uh, the no license movement. Since our last issue, several meetings have been held in the interest of no license. On Sunday afternoon, a large meeting was held at the Congregational Church under the auspices. Auspices? Auspicious? A, no, yes. auspices. There's no A-S, A-U-S-P-I-C-E-S. I, I don't know. That's not a word. Of the <laughs> Ladies' Temperance Union. <laughs> Um, which so the churches were on the churches were involved in this mm-hmm. also, hmm. um, and another one went on to talk about the temperance store st- still is booming. I thank the people of Albert Lee and vicinity for their patronage during the past year and hope to merit fair share of it the coming year. As I've run my drugstore on the temperance plan, believing there were enough good temperance people to justify me in doing so. I shall continue to do so in the future. I have on hand everything usually found in a first-class drugstore and make a specialty of fine prescription work. I manufacture all of my own tinctures, wines, syrups, elixirs, fluid extracts, um, so you will always find them fresh and full strength. Respectfully, Dr. E.W. McCord. Hmm. So 
wine apparently was not considered an alcoholic beverage because that was part of his temperance store. Right. If I can butt in for a split Please. second, when um when I had my morning show and I did history stuff, I learned a lot about the Prohibition era, mm-hmm. and um a lot of people to get around the limits imposed by Prohibition, they would literally just take grape juice and just like let it sit and so it would ferment and then it would like develop you know it's alcoholic nature and people would just do that and i think over the course of the 12 or 13 years that prohibition was in effect uh grape juice sales shot up like more than double i think (laughs) oh funny wow so that's kind of the same thing i'm gonna assume is is it was probably less, you know, they worried about it less than maybe, say, your whiskey or something. Yeah. Well, and didn't they also get around it by saying it was just medicinal? Like, they would be selling well, that's, things that's just I, medicine. I think that's the, the ter- that's where the temperance store comes into right. play. So, um, you know, the temperance stores were the ones then were, that were advertising the opiums and the, and the morphines <laughs> and elixirs and right. uh, oh those types of things. Yeah. Um, there was a there was a letter to the editor that I thought was really good. Uh, there was a time when Albert Lee was called the Banner Temperance Town in the state. Oh. There was a time when people far and wide spoke of Albert Lee as the Great Temperance Town. Oh man! <laughs> there was a time when temperance orators in nearly all the northern states of the Union, from the Atlantic to Pacific, held Albert Lee up before their audiences as a model temperance town. Wow! There was a time when Albert Lee had the latest largest and most influential good templar lodge in the whole state of minnesota wow wow yeah. right oh my goodness yeah it's, it's so this is really this was something i hadn't planned on finding mm-hmm. when i threw out temperance i thought i can tie temperance and remedies to nursing yeah sure, sure. but um yeah wow yeah wow <laughs> huh And then, well, when you said temperance, then I thought about uh, Dean Eulin's book that is coming out fairly soon. It's We All Must Be Willing to Sacrifice. It's a World War I kind of book talking about Freeborn County, Mauer County, surrounding Steele County a little bit. yep. Yep. And about a lot of the people in there. And he really does focus on people, which I found really cool. But one of the sections talks about bonds, the Liberty bonds that people would buy oh, sure. in World War One, And that, like, the temperance movement, in my mind, was a lot of just communities deciding that that's what they were going to follow. And if mm-hmm. people didn't follow it, it was kind of like a shame on you, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was the Liberty Bonds in World War One. It was, uh, if you're not buying the percentage that you should be buying, we might just tar and feather you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it meant you weren't patriotic, right? right? You didn't support our local uh-huh. boys. And you might be fined sometimes, yeah. too. They would bring you like to court and say, <laughs> hey, you need to pay your due diligence here. And yeah. But I, I'm not a big World War One buff. I enjoy World War One like trivia and stuff. I think it's it's neat, but I'm not really... Odd that she used the word enjoy. <laughs> I do. I'm a, I like trivia. I'm a um, casual, <laughs> casual enjoyer of one of the most I'm deadly a, human conflicts in history. Casual triviaist. Um, uh, but I really did enjoy that book that he wrote. It's it's well written and it's a lot of interesting points. And he does again. He focuses on the people, which and I will never stop praising his ability to 
show the beginning of World War One in such a clear, concise way. He tells you how it starts very, very well. So we're going to have him come to the museum. I was going to say, yeah. he's coming on July 15th. Mm-hmm. For a book signing and then also a little a program. Yep, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and if if he, I guess if people haven't heard him, he's he's so personable. Mm-hmm. It's like you're having a conversation with him while he's presenting to you. So there's no, um, I don't know. You, he doesn't go over your head. There's right. no. It's just it's it's a really great way to learn about World War One. He does some stuff on World War Two as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, yeah. Nice guy. Do you think he likes popcorn? I don't know. Maybe we should try and give him some. Mm. Yeah. Here you go. <laughs>